it's, uh, it's good to be here, even though you all can't necessarily be here. You're, you're in your homes, and so this is a way for us to connect a little bit anyway. So let me just start out with the scripture reading from Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. All right, before we, before we get into the passage today, which is going to be Mark chapter 6, I just want to give two encouragements, two encouragements. One, just, just in general to the church body, one is do your best to stay connected. Stay connected. Obviously, if you're watching this, especially if you're watching this 10 a.m. on Sunday morning, you are staying connected. That's, that's great. We love your participation in it. We love it when you guys say hi in the comment section or give an amen or do a like. That's great. We really appreciate that. Um, I also did this past week a Facebook Live in just the private prayer and care group. Um, for a little uh, prayer meeting, and so I appreciate you guys who, who came in and participated in that. I'd also say that we as a church have a Zoom account now. We now have a Zoom account, so if you're not familiar with Zoom, uh, Zoom is like a video chat, like a conference call kind of a thing. You can do it with video, without, on a regular phone, on your computer. It works really well, and so we have a Zoom account, and um, so if you want to use that, you can have a personal account, but the Zoom account gives you more abilities, more features, no time limit or anything like that. So you can use that. And as an example, just this past Wednesday night, our Bible fellowship group, so our small group got together over Zoom, just talked for about 45 minutes to an hour, just kind of just checked in see, as a way to see everybody um, and participate with one another. So, so if you want to use, if you are a leader in one of those groups, or you're just a member of one of those groups, and you're interested in setting that up, Please talk to me, let me know, and I'll get you the account information and I'll help you get set up with doing that. So just find ways to stay connected. Just uh, another, another good example of this is Emily, who is just up here singing. She, um, she's been calling some of the kids in our, that are part of our children's program and saying hi. She called my kids and had a little video chat with them. So that was just really, they really appreciated it. So just find ways to stay connected. If you know people that don't have that technology, just give them a phone call. Just say, hey. How's it going? Uh, we're, we're still the body of Christ, and this forces us to be more intentional about getting together, but there's still ways to virtually kind of get together. The second thing I want to ask you to do in, in addition to staying connected is to pray. Uh, it, it goes without saying we're supposed to pray, but especially at a time like this when we understand our dependence on God, please pray. And I just had three things to pray for. There's so much we could pray for, but just three categories. One is people that are getting sick. I don't know anybody personally yet, but sort of like the next, the next level or a, a friends of friends I'm hearing about. So please pray for those who are getting sick. For many it's mild, but for others it's more serious. So pray for them. And as you hear, be sure to pray for them. Secondly, pray for those who are on the front lines of caring for the sick. Uh, they're tired. They're out. They're short on supplies. They're at risk themselves. So please pray for their protection and their strength. God's grace is working in them right now to be able to do this, and so we're certainly grateful for all that. And then finally, pray for those who are economically impacted. 
um, because of a job or a business or something like that. That's an extra level of stress and tension and difficulty that a lot of people are going through. So please pray for them. And we're going to take a minute to actually pray for those things right now. Father God, we, we come before you and we need you, to, uh, we need you to meet us here in this situation, at this present time, under these circumstances. And so, as, as the psalmist says, we, we cry out to you and we say, please, Lord, hear us. Listen to our cry for mercy. Listen to our, our request for help. Lord, you know these circumstances. None of this takes you by surprise. None of this is something that is beyond your ability to handle. God, as we sang this morning, as we listened this morning, you are always at work. Even when we can't see it, you're working. But you are always working. You don't take a break. You don't take a pause. You're not quarantined. You can move and work in these situations. And God, you care about us. You care about our souls. You care about our, our spirit. You care about our body. You care, you care about all of us, our whole lives. So God, we, we call and we ask, ask your love to, to work in these situations. Bring protection, bring healing, bring security, bring peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you've uh, got a Bible, I hope you get your Bible out. Pull it off the shelf. Turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Now this is interesting because um, the, the message, I'm just following the normal calendar of, of, our, of our sermon calendar that we, we put ahead, you know, months in advance. And it's interesting because in this one, it's, it's a message about how Jesus sends out his disciples into the villages. So Jesus is sending out his disciples, and we're listening to this, we're hearing this at a time when we can't go out, or very rarely, right? Only essential employees, or only if you've got some place you need to go to get groceries, but we're under a stay-at-home order from our government. And so we've got a message where the disciples are called to go out into the villages, and we're hearing at a time when we're supposed to stay inside. That's, that's kind of an interesting situation, I think. And so it sort of raises the question, you know, what, what is, Jesus is sending them out on a mission. And I, I got to say that um, I'm really encouraged by this church. I've had a lot of people come to me and say, and call me or send me a note or something and say, how can I help? Do you know of anybody that needs help? Um, how, how, what are the ways that I can still contribute in tithes and offerings? What are the ways that, do you know of anybody that needs help? So I've had a number of people come to me and, and offer to help and ask if I know of ways that they can help. So that's great. Very few people have come to me and say, I need help. Although if you do need help, please do that. that that's okay. It, it's okay to ask for help. So if you need help, I want you to know that there are people that are eager to find some way to help. But I'm encouraged that people are eager to help. But I, I'm discouraged by an article that I read um, by, by New York Times columnist David Brooks. And David Brooks, what he did is he took a look at how people in the past have responded to pandemics. And, and a lot of times when there's a big national crisis, like 9-11 or we're, we're fighting a war, there's this great sense of solidarity and everybody sort of pulls together and everybody acts selflessly. And we kind of have that sort of experience right now, except that he noticed that in pandemics, actually, people don't always act like that. In fact... When it's an outside enemy, like a terrorist, we all band together. But when it's a virus and your neighbor could be passing it along to you, we, end, we actually turn inward and we become more selfish or we show our selfishness more, I guess. It's a mirror that shines up to us. 
and we have this great fear and panic, and we act out of fear and panic, and when we, when we act out of fear, we turn inward and we are selfish. And so in cases like the 1918 uh, Spanish pandemic, the Spanish flu that happened, people really didn't step up to help, actually. They, they were quite selfish. And, and so after that happened, people, I mean, there were, of course, exceptions, I'm sure. But by and large, it, it wasn't a really good thing. And so afterwards, people really didn't talk about it. They, once it was over, they didn't want to share. They didn't want to talk about it. There aren't a whole lot of big stories out of that. And that's, that's the point he makes in his article is that we tend, when we're acting out of fear, to turn inward and act selfishly. And so we need to be careful as believers, are, are we doing that too? And, and again, thus far, I haven't seen that. Maybe we see a little bit of that with the hoarding of supplies and toilet paper and all that. But I'm encouraged so far by the church. And Jesus calls us not to turn inward. Jesus' message, like the message we're going to study today, is always a message of going out, of looking outward, of a mission, of going forth, or of, as we read in Matthew, of being the salt of the earth, of being light of the world. We as believers, if you're a believer, you've got an opportunity in the certain kind of darkness that we're facing to shine your light in a new way. So I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you with that. And so then as we come to Mark chapter 6, the question is, all right, so we're supposed to be outward focused. So we're supposed to be looking out for others. What is, we're supposed to participate in Jesus' ministry, mission. What is his mission? And then how can we participate in that mission, and how can we participate in that mission of going out, in a sense, when we're supposed to stay in? So that's our challenge, and that's our, that's our message for this morning. So I'm going to start reading in verse 6. So chapter 6, verse 6 says, Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him, and he began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over impure spirits. Our first point for today, if you're taking notes, our first point for today is that Jesus sends out his disciples. But there's actually kind of a point zero. There's a preliminary step, and it's this. It's that Jesus gathers his disciples to himself. In the text, it says that Jesus called his disciples to him. In Mark chapter 3, verse 14, it says that he appointed the twelve that they might be with him and that he, he might send them forth. So when he appointed his twelve... The first thing that he did, and this order is really important, it's that he called his disciples to him. He called them that they might be with him. Our first priority in understanding Jesus' mission is, is the fact that we need to come to Jesus. We need to heed his call to come to him. That's really of critical importance because if we just say we're going to run out, we're going to go out on our own, we're going to do our own thing, it's not going to work. The first thing we need to do is we need to come to Jesus. We need to commune with Jesus. We need to spend time with Jesus. In Jesus, we find our life. In Jesus, we find our hope and our peace. In Jesus, we find salvation. In Jesus, we get the instructions. In Jesus, we'll see, we'll get the authority to go out. And so we need step one, or maybe step zero in this going out of this mission, is we need to come to Jesus first. And so maybe that's our priority right now in this season. Jesus' mission doesn't take a pause in a season like this. Jesus' mission doesn't end. But it does go through different kinds of seasons in different people's life. And so maybe the season for you is to focus on your relationship with Jesus. If you've got extra time, if you have some, uh, some extra slots in your day, and I know actually some of you guys are probably more busy than you've ever been, but some of you guys have some extra time. Make that time, use that time to get into the Word, get into prayer. Uh, Becky, who's our children's director, has put together a Bible reading plan through John that reads through John one chapter a day. 
There's 21 chapters. The first day was the first day of our 21-day shutdown order. So the, the way the timing works is that if you read one chapter, if you had started on Tuesday, John 1, um, and, and you read one through, by the time we get to the end, that'll be the end of the shutdown order, if it, if it doesn't expand or anything like that. And then that takes us also one day past Easter. So that'd be one way that you could do it. Learn about Jesus. Get into Jesus' uh, word. Understand who he is, his person through the Gospel of John. It's good stuff. So, so step zero is really go to Jesus. Okay, so again, back to point number one, which is that Jesus sends out his disciples. Again, a couple of observations. One is the timing. The timing that Jesus uses to send out his disciples. You've got to understand the disciples in the Gospel of Mark are not the heroes of the story. Jesus is the heroes of the story. And so the disciples are actually not very well portrayed. They're portrayed as lacking in faith, of lacking in understanding, of really not getting what's going on. There's, a, there's people in Mark where Jesus says he's amazed at their faith. And in a little bit, we'll get to the Syrophoenician woman. And Jesus is amazed at her faith. This foreigner, this person outside the covenant community, Jesus is amazed at her faith. But the disciples, the one who spent all their time with him, that Jesus says are, he's amazed at their lack of faith. He says, you guys, you guys saw me feed the 5,000, but you still don't get what I'm talking about? Now, in Mark chapter 8, there's Peter's great confession. And Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. He's absolutely right. We say, all right, Peter, you got it. And then Jesus says, you know what that means? That means I'm going to have to suffer and I'm going to have to die. And Peter says, no, it can't be. And he actually rebukes Jesus. And Jesus turns around and says, get behind me, Satan. So Jesus' disciples are not like the, the most brilliant people in the world. They, they don't get it. They're, they're learning. They're in process. And yet, even at that point, even before they get it, Jesus calls them out. Even at this point in Mark, Jesus is calling them out on a mission. And even though they don't understand everything, they do understand some really important things. They do understand that Jesus is the Messiah. They've got some concept of that. They understand some element of who he is. And they understand that in Jesus, God is doing something incredible. They hear Jesus speak, and they say, Jesus is speaking with authority. They know that he's got the words of life. He's preaching about this kingdom that's coming, that's revolutionizing the world, that's changing everything. And they see demonstrations of that as he, as he uh, casts out demons and as he cures the sick. And so they know that Jesus is powerful and they know that Jesus is in charge and they know that he's got the words of life. So they can go out and they can preach that and they can share that and they can participate in that part of the ministry. This is a good encouragement because I don't have it all figured out. And some people say, well, um, they don't feel like they've got it all figured out. But you don't have to have it all figured out to be able to participate in Jesus' mission. You don't have to have all the answers. You're never going to have all the answers. But Jesus could still use you like he uses his bungling disciples in the Gospel of Mark. They still went out. They were obedient to the next step that they knew. They taught what they knew, even though they didn't have it all figured out. Okay, the next observation that I make is that he gave them authority. So the timing is interesting. Then the next thing it says, he gave them authority. Authority. He gave them authority to cast out demons. Now, if you're coming at this uh, from a Western perspective like I am, of course, this seems, this modern Western mindset makes this sort of weird and sort of strange to get our heads around. What's this whole deal about Jesus casting out demons, this demonic possession? It feels spooky. It feels horror movie-ish or whatever. But you've got to understand that this was a common enough experience for the gospel writers, that they don't really have to explain it in their culture. 
The people that they wrote to wouldn't have had that mind. They would have said, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, Mark. I know exactly what you're talking about, Matthew and Luke. It, it, it was not outside of their experience. It was common to their experience. There was, a, there was a power in the spiritual realm that was going on that was just obvious to all. And so it didn't need extra explanation for them. And so it does for us, because again, we don't, we don't see this or we don't recognize it or whatever it might be. Um, but, but they did. They did see it. They did recognize it. And it was a big deal. There were these powerful spiritual forces at work at that time that were oppressing people, that were hurting people, that were um, causing them to even to hurt themselves in some cases or, or really disrupting their minds and how they thought, just deceptive stuff going on. And as Jesus is coming in, as he's bringing about the kingdom of God, as he's bringing about this new way of being, this new kind of life into this world, part of what he's doing is he's, he's He's undermining, he's, he's binding these spiritual forces. And so when he calls disciples, he gives them authority to do the same thing. Now, again, I think that something has kind of changed since Jesus' ministry. I think that actually he, did, he, he significantly harmed the demonic power, the demonic world in his ministry and certainly in his cross. And so I still think we have spiritual battles to fight Right, um, talks about putting on the full armor of God and things like that to, to battle these, these spiritual forces that are still real. Right? Uh, it might look a little bit different for us. But, but the point that I want to make here is that as Jesus sent out his disciples, he gave them authority. He gave them a power. But this was not a power that was or an authority that was an inherent to them. They didn't have it on their own. We don't have a power and authority for whatever it might be that's inherent to us. Whatever we are able to do we need to get it from Jesus. That's why it's so critical that we are first going to Jesus because we need to get the resources for the mission from him. There's no other place to get it. We need to get it from him. We do not have it in ourselves. We merely, it's not merely actually, it, it's glorious in fact that we get to act as ambassadors, but we are always ambassadors. We are always acting on his behalf and not independently, okay? So that's the authority that he gives him. Next, we look at the commission. What did he commission to them to do? Well, in this verse, it talks about commissioning them to cast out demons. Then they give a report at the end, which we'll read, and we'll see two more things. One is that they preached. They preached the gospel. And the next thing that they did is they healed the sick. So we got three things there. Part of their commissioning was casting out demons. Another was healing the sick. And another was preaching the gospel. Those were the three main elements of their ministry. Again, this is not a ministry, this is not a mission, this is not a task that they came up with on their own. They got it directly from Jesus. And the next thing to say there is that the ministry that Jesus gave them was exactly his ministry. The things he told them to do were exactly the things that he was doing. Jesus was going out and he was healing the sick. Jesus was going out and he was preaching and calling people to repent. And Jesus was going out and he was casting out demons. So those three things, that was... That was the scope of Jesus' ministry there. And those are exactly the things that he told his disciples to do. Our mission as his disciples needs to mirror, needs to match Jesus' mission, Jesus' ministry, right? Now, this gives us an opportunity to take, back, take a step back and say, okay, then what is, what is this Jesus guy all about? And so we can dig into a little of these. So let's dig into the preaching part first. What did Jesus preach about? What was, his, what was the content of his message? Now we can go into, into the Gospels and we can see that really well. And there's a lot there. There's a lot that he taught about. Sermon on the Mount is a great place to go to. But if we jump back to Mark, we can kind of get a summary of it. In the beginning chapters of Mark, in the first chapter of Mark, it talks about Jesus' 
it sort of gives a summary of his, of his message, which was this. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's drawing near. Therefore, repent and believe the good news. So let's talk about the kingdom of God first. The kingdom of God. What, what's this whole kingdom of God thing about? It's this. It's that the kingdom of God is wherever God is reigning, wherever God is ruling, wherever God is in charge. So when Jesus says the kingdom of God is coming, what he's saying is in me, in me as the person. Jesus is our king, right? Jesus comes in and he says, here, here I am. Here's, I am in charge now. I, I am bringing the power and the authority of God into this world. And what does that look like? It means that he taught with authority, right? We needed, people needed to listen to him. And it meant that he had these signs of the kingdom, right? His, the things that he was doing, the, the healing of the sick, the casting out demons, was an example of what it looked like when Jesus is in charge. When humans are in charge, when it's just us people acting on our own, when we go our own way, when we're selfish, right? The opposite of the kingdom of God is the kingdom of self. The kingdom of self, which says, I'm just going to go my own way. I'm, I'm going to eat of the fruit of the tree that I want to eat of because I want to be like God. When we make ourselves to be like God, inevitably, it leads to death. It leads to harm. It leads to hurt. It leads to destruction. Right? And so Jesus is coming into a world that is uh, saturated with this kingdom of self. And he's bringing in a kingdom of God, which is a kingdom of life. It's a kingdom of hope. It's a kingdom of joy. It's a, it's a kingdom where people treat each other in the right way. It's a kingdom where he's in charge. So since he's bringing this kingdom, what, what, this, what this does is it forces people to a decision point. It forces people to say, okay, what kingdom am I going to be a part of? Am I going to be a part of the kingdom of, of the world, of a selfish attitude, or am I going to be part of Jesus' kingdom? So that's why he says, right, if the kingdom of God is near, if the kingdom of God is at hand, if there's a decision to be made, what's that decision look like? And for Jesus, it looks like you repent. That means you turn from the way that leads to death and you turn towards Jesus, which is the way that leads towards life. You repent from your rebellion from God and you turn to submission to God because he knows what's best. And then right along there with it is believe, repent and believe the good news. The fact that Jesus is bringing a kingdom, the fact that he's bringing his way of life is a good news. Right? The gospel, that means good news. And so we turn to Jesus and we repent and we believe. That's the core of Jesus' message, and going along with that, as I said, are, are the signs of this, uh, are the fact that he's casting out demons and that he's healing the sick. You see, you need to know, if you're interested in following Jesus, if you want to follow Jesus, that he cares about your whole person. He cares about your body, and he cares about your soul. And he cares about your now, and he cares about your eternity. The things that he was doing was, as he's healing people, as he's casting out demons, that was, he was liberating them from the present oppression that they were facing. He was liberating them from, from the dark forces of this world. He cared about their now. But the, those, those events, those things that he was doing, they were also pointers to an eternity. Pointers to what he was going to do in, in remaking the world. Ultimately, we see in Scripture when he returns and we have a world with no more suffering, no more pain, no more death. Oh, that's beautiful. And God is doing that. That's, that's, that's what Jesus is doing. And so if we're his followers... We also have the same values, right? We also combine our word and our deed. We also love the whole person, both their, their, their bodily welfare, their physical welfare, and the welfare of their soul. And we also care about their now, their present condition, and their eternity. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We have the same values as Jesus, and we see those values as Jesus preaches about the kingdom of God, and he heals the sick, and he 
and he casts out demons and he points people to Jesus. Those are the values of Jesus. Those are our values as his followers. Okay? So point number one, again, was that Jesus sends out his disciples. Okay, that's, that's our biggest point. Our next point is this, that Jesus gives them instructions. Verse 8 says, these are the instructions. Uh, Take nothing for your journey except staff. Except the staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. And whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. All right. So we see instructions for a few things, right? Number one, we see instructions about uh, what to take with them. Okay, so they're not, really it's what not to take with them. They are supposed to take some sandals, take a staff, but don't take anything extra. Why is Jesus doing that? Now, first of all, I want to say, I don't think that that's the way we always do mission all the time, right? There's something that Jesus is teaching them. We don't always go with nothing physically, and we see in the New Testament different forms of mission, different forms of ministry. So there's a contextual aspect that Jesus has going on here. But the principle, I think, remains the same, and that is this. He was teaching them that they need to be fully dependent on Jesus. They need to be fully dependent on him. They need to be fully dependent on God. That's true for us, whether we feel like we have a lot of resources or we feel like we don't have any resources at all. No matter where we're at, whether we can meet together or not meet together, whether we've got a building or not a building, whether we've got a lot of money or no money, whatever the situation is, the fact remains that we're fully dependent on God. So we need to keep that in mind all the time as we go out in ministry. We're never independent. We're dependent on him as we saw for authority, but even just for our physical resources. He provides it all, but he did provide everything that they needed, and they demonstrated that dependence. They showed that faith uh, by not taking those things with them, right? That was, he was teaching them something. He was trying to get them to understand something. Next, he taught them of how to respond to a welcome. How do they respond to a welcome? It's interesting. He says, once you go into a village and you find a house that accepts you, don't leave that house until you leave the village. Why was he doing that? Well, I think we can kind of paint a picture to try to understand this, right? Um, let's imagine they go into a village and, and they go to a house and that first house says, no, we don't want you. And they go to the next house and the next house says, no, we don't want you. And then they go to the third house and it's, a, it's, it's, it's barely a house at all. It's a shack. And they've got like this little tiny place in which they can rest and they can, they can sleep. And there's, you know, really meager provisions, hardly anything on the table. But that, that house, they recognize something about the disciples, and they recognize something about their message and their authority. And they say, all right, you know, we, we trust that God is with you in this, so you can stay here. So that the house, it's got nothing to offer, barely anything at all, but it gives them a welcome. It gives them a peace. Then they go out and they start preaching. And, and uh, people love them, it turns out. And they heal the sick. And then you got the rich guy in town who says, man, you guys are great. Everybody loves you now. And I got a nice bed and I got good food. How about you, you know... Don't stay in that little shack. Come here. Stay at this nice place. Now, for the disciples to say, all right, well, let's upgrade, they would have been, especially in that culture, they would have been dishonoring the first house they went to. So I think that's why Jesus calls them that. It's a way of honoring those who recognize the mission first. Those who, before there was all the evidence of it, before they could see everything, still showed them a welcome. And in so doing, they were honoring those who showed them a welcome. And then the next instruction is, okay, 
Sometimes you're going to go to a village and you're going to get accepted and you're going to be received well. But sometimes you're going to go to a village and you're going to go from house to house to house and every place you go to say, can I stay here? Can this be my home base? Every single house says no and you're totally and utterly rejected. And you try to preach and you try to do, and, and nobody, nobody cares anything about you. What do you do then? And again it says, when, uh, and if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So in some cases, and as we saw last week, there's a mixed response to the message of Jesus. And so he gives them what to do in that mixed response. What do you do if you're received well? What do you do if you're rejected? And if the whole town rejects them, here's what they're supposed to do. They, they take, they leave the town, they take off their sandals, and they shake it off. They shake the dust off. Now, that was a symbolic act that they were doing. And it was a powerful and a meaningful symbolic act. Essentially, what they were saying was, you are a people who have rejected God, and therefore you remain under a judgment. And so I'm going to disassociate myself with you so that I also don't fall under the judgment. That was a, it, it was symbolic. It was a prophetic message that they were teaching about. And so there was a powerful response, and it's certainly meaningful, but it was not especially angry. It was not, a, uh, it was not yelling. It was not screaming at somebody. It was, just, it was just the way it was. You see, the message of the gospel, it sifts and it gathers. It sifts and it gathers. It gathers. We need to keep that in mind. The message of the gospel does gather. Because when we look at the person of Jesus and we look at what he's doing, as, as we see his ministry, it's a beautiful ministry. He's a, a remarkable person. And, and we hear right at the, to the woman at the well, he says, I've got living water to give you. And he says in John chapter 6, I am the bread of heaven. And he says later in John, I am the, um, I'm the good shepherd and I'm the light of the world. And, and so for, for some people, they're going to recognize, they're going to recognize that they have a deep thirst, a deep need that just regular water is not going to fill, that they've got a spiritual need and they're going to see Jesus, and they're going to say, yeah, Jesus offers that, and they're going to run to Jesus. And there are those who say, I have a hunger. I have a hunger that I cannot fill on my own. And it's not about food. It's, it's I've got a hunger for, for, some, for something more meaningful. I've got, I've got a hunger for an eternal life. And they see Jesus, and they say, yeah, Jesus, you're the bread of the life. And he, and he draws them to himself. And then there are people that say, I, I need a shepherd. I need somebody who cares. I, I need somebody who really can take care of me. Other things have let me down. And so when, when Jesus proclaims that he's the good shepherd, and as we proclaim, yeah, Jesus is a shepherd who's going to watch, and he's going to care for you, and he's going to look out for you, and he's going to guide and direct you, and he's going to lead you to streams of water, and he's going to lead you to green pastures, as it says in Psalm 23. People, for many of us, like for myself, right, that, what does it do? The message of the gospel, it gathers, it draws, it, it creates a people that understand, first of all, their need, that they're poor in spirit, that they have a hunger and thirst after righteousness. And they'll come to Jesus. But the other part of the gospel is that it sifts. It, it, it gathers, but it also sifts. And there, are, there always will be people who reject the gospel out of unbelief or a hardness of hearts or whatever it's going to be. And the disciples and followers of Jesus need to be ready for that. And as, if, you're, if you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus at this point, I would encourage you, be amongst those for whom the message of the gospel is something that gathers. It's critically important that you be amongst those for, for whom it gathers, that you hear the words of Jesus and that you, you hear that call to come in. It's, it's a call of welcome, and, and the, 
the welcome of the gospel goes out to all and says, come in. And if we welcome that message and we come in, we're welcomed into all the fruit and the goodness of the kingdom. But if we reject the message, then we're also rejected from the goodness of the kingdom. So we need to be aware, be careful. And I encourage you, I plead with you, as Paul says, be reconciled to God. And it comes through Jesus, just through faith in Jesus, just through trusting in Jesus. Okay? So we've got the Jesus sends out his disciples, point number one. Point number two, Jesus gives them instructions. Point number three is the disciples obeyed. Verse 12 says, They went out and they preached that people should repent, and they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. It's a good thing the disciples obeyed. It'd sort of be anticlimactic if at the end of the story, Jesus gives them instructions, Jesus sends them out, and then the next verse says, but the disciples sat around and did nothing because they said, well, that's kind of scary and weird. I don't want to do that, right? It's critically important that the disciples obeyed. And I thank God that the disciples obeyed and continue to obey after the resurrection as he sends them out into the broader world. Right? We need to be followers of Jesus who obey. What did their obedience look like? Well, they said what Jesus said. Their message was the message of Jesus. They said what Jesus said. And then also, they did what Jesus did. So number one, they said what he said. Number two, they did exactly what he did. So they preached that people should repent. It wasn't their own message. They preached that people should repent. They gave the message Jesus told them to give or to say, and then they did what Jesus did. Now, what does this mean for us? Again, for us, what's it on us? Us, we need to say what Jesus says, and we need to do the same things that Jesus did. That, again, going back, we care for the whole person, their physical well-being, their spiritual well-being, their present, their eternity. What does that look like when you've got a stay-at-home order? We're not being sent out into the villages. I think even before we had the stay-at-home order, most of us weren't being sent out into the villages, although certain missionaries, for sure. Okay, but what does that look like? The first thing I'd say is, again, maybe this is a season, maybe one big purpose of the season in your life right now that God's going to use is a time to really focus, center, come back to Jesus, come to Jesus through some, some, uh, some prayer and some word. One thing I've been doing that has been uh, sort of effective for me is I read some and then I set a timer on my phone and I say, for this period of time, I'm just going to spend it in prayer. I'm just going to focus. It's so hard many times for me to focus at all right now. And so we need to be intentional about it because my mind wants to go everywhere. We need to be intentional about coming to Jesus. You know, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, then what do you go to him for? You go to him for that, um, that sustenance, that direction, that hope, you need that for that spiritual well-being. But if, if, even if you're not a follower of Jesus right now, then you come to Jesus still, but you come for a different reason. You come for salvation. You come for forgiveness. You come for him to, to make you new, for him to forgive your sins just by faith in Jesus. And when you do that, he, he radically transforms. So again, a call to do that. Okay, so that might be part of it. Another part is this. You may not be able to go out in the same way as the disciples, but we have incredible tools right now. We do have resources. And so... Use the resources that you have to be a city on a hill, to be a light on a stand, to be the salt of the earth. You have technological resources. If you're hearing this, if you're watching this, you have technological resources. You have access to ways that you could still touch other people's lives, even if you're not physically present with them. You can use your social media, not for fear, not, you know, not for scaring everybody, but for, for being a light of, of hope and, and, of, and of peace. 
Now, we, we, we obviously got to take this seriously. We can share things about, um, you know, the best ways to stay healthy. And that's not fear. That's, that's wisdom. But you can use your, uh, your, you can still call people on the phone. You can do all kinds of things to still touch people's lives. If you're a parent, you can evangelize and disciple your children right now. Uh, if you've got a sidewalk outside, you can, uh, we can have our kids. I thought about this. I haven't done this yet. But just write encouraging notes on the sidewalk. Whatever it can be. Let us not be like the people in the 1918 pandemic who just turned inward, right? We need to be the salt and the light that goes out. Maybe not physically, but, but we have ways to do it. And so use the resources that you have. Be the church. Be the light of the world. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have one more closing song this time. Uh, again, thank you so much for joining us. Father God, this is beyond us. And we recognize in situations like this how much is beyond our control. So much of this is beyond our control. But nothing of this is outside of your control. And so all that we can be is faithful servants of you. And so I pray for your church today. I pray for your church worldwide as we're trying to figure out what your mission looks like in a day like today. You've got something for us. You're working. You're doing something. I don't, we don't know what you're doing. But, but help us to participate in it. Help us to be a part of it somehow. Somehow, Lord, we'll, we'll look back and we'll see, you'll, we'll see incredible things that you've done and incredible things that you did through your people. We look forward to that. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.